Fresh in Welcome back to another episode of Fresh and Buds. I am your host, Tommy Fresh, and you are all of my buds, and I am joined by a bud today, Mr. Himmel Patel. Uh, you might know him as Zeus on Discord. You might know him as Hammerami TCG. Uh, he is a, he's become a great bud uh, to you know both me and Gary over at the, the Bud Rush Bellow, and uh, I, I thought it would be awesome to have him on to talk a little bit about the secondary market, get to know him a little bit. You know, this is something that we have never really talked about on the show before. So, uh, you know, hey, why not bring in the experts? You know, I, I'm I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> I don't know any any of this stuff, so got to bring him in. But how are you doing, Hemel? I'm doing good, man. You know, you're more entrenched in the Hemurabi TCG than most people know. <laughs> like we had, we uh, I don't know if most people know, but during the Battle Hard New Jersey stream, we had an advertisement that we had made for the Hemurabi TCG, and the voice of Hammurabi himself was Mr. Tommy Fresh over here. It sure was. Yeah. I mean, we, we are the same person, I guess, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, it was cool. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but that was a lot of fun. And, and uh, I, th- I think it turned out great. So, uh, but before we get to all that, I got to do, you know, what I do in the beginning here, talk a little bit about the Patreon, which you can find it in the show notes, which is helps keep the lights on, the mics hot, get access to the uh, Patreon exclusive Buds Discord channel called the Romping Club. You get a, a Romping Club membership card. You get some access to uh, some pack openings from the Bud Rush Bellow that we don't get to on the Bud Rush Bellow. You get access to some some bonus eps as well. It's a it's a good way to support the show. Obviously, definitely not uh, required, but very much appreciated. And then I also want to shout out the Bud Rush Bellow, which I mentioned already, with Mr. Viz, a.k.a. Gary. And it is a fun live show that we do on YouTube, 9.30 Eastern on Wednesdays. And it is a, it's a blast. We get pretty silly over there. Uh, so please check it out. And if you're on the YouTube right now, listening or watching this right now, uh, give it the old like, comment, subscribe, trying to get those sub numbers up a little bit. Now that I'm doing the podcast in video, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here in the future now. And uh, yeah. Uh, and then I also want to give a shout out to, I was on a buds podcast this week called uh, steel blade showtime uh, featuring the buds, uh, Brendan and Derek. Uh, very cool show. You get the, they, kind of grilled me a little bit about some Leviathan stuff and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so check that out. And also coming up Owl Central Games in, in Millersville, Pennsylvania uh, is also going to be having a 1K on, I think it's the 25th of February. I will be there hanging out, playing some games, um, you know, intimidating with Rhino, I think. But that's it. Now we talk to him. First of all, how you doing? You've been traveling a lot lately. What's going on? I've been traveling a lot. It's been good. Just got back from the calling indie last weekend, and uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been a ball. You know, I, I do most of the events here in North America. My little paddle around to some of the foreign events, but you know, it, it it was a great weekend. Got to meet a lot of the buds. Got to meet Gary. Got to meet you yourself. Got to meet a bunch of other other content creators, and you know, my fellow bizarre compatriots. <laughs> got them the singles they need. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's the cool thing, right? You know, so for context, I think, gosh, I mean, when when I first started into the game, you know, and, and Gary did, we kind of got into the games around the same time. And we were kind of like buying 
cards, you know, from people we met on the purple discord or whatever. And, and, uh, we had both kind of bought cards from you and Gary just is like, you're his go-to guy. Um, I open a lot of sealed product just cause like I gotta, and I'm crazy. But when I need singles, I reach out to you and, uh, it's just kind of funny, uh, cause Gary was like, Oh, you know, Zeus is, Zeus has this, Zeus has that. I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, like Zeus is great. He's the best. And, and <laughs> then, uh, all of a sudden one day Gary goes, uh, do you want to do some voice acting? And I was like, yeah, sure, sure. And, and next thing I know we're, we're chatting with you, not about buying singles, but, but doing voice acting for an ad. And, uh, oh, yeah. it was pretty cool. Do you want to tell us why, or what your thoughts were behind the ad that played at the battle hard in New Jersey? So uh, I was actually doing like a me and Ethan are good friends, and I was doing, I was talking to Ethan. And Ethan's like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to make an advertisement spots for a bunch of people and like stores and stuff like that if they want to do something during the battle hard. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, it doesn't hurt, you know, get my name out there a little bit more, just make a cute cutesy ad and stuff like that. So then I was talking to Ethan. He's like, you know, I can make it for you, and you know, we can work something out that way. So that's how it first started. And I was like, you know, it's not a bad idea. You know, get get the bazaar's name out there a little bit more and try to see you know because a lot of more people were going to watch those vods after the fact and you know it might help out then plus live viewers and stuff like that and you know i could garner some support in that way in the sense that you know the brand grows more so we started off with that idea and then the idea behind the ad we had was to make it like the internet historian memes or you have like you know it's just like really wonky editing and like it's like really cute and fun and so we we start off with that and we're like yeah, it would be it would be interesting if we made him like a mob boss and we had that futurama thing in the background where it's like the the italian mob boss and he has the two two uh, henchmen and one of them has a clamp for an arm so we're like we're like who has a good italian mob boss voice and me i told i asked gary and he's like he's like tommy just, just message tommy <laughs> just message Tommy. I was like, all right. So I sent him, I sent you a message. And then once you sent me that first draft, I was like, Oh, this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. You know, it, I love like challenges like that. I, you know, I haven't done yeah. a lot of any like voice acting. I did something for, um, a dead summer art. I was Oldham. That's definitely yeah. a different vibe than the Donbot from Futurama. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, I love Futurama. As soon as you said Futurama, I was like, damn, now I got to watch Futurama again. Cause like, I cause like now I'm getting so nostalgic. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Now we're going to get to, you know, Hammurabi TCG and, and what's going on with that. But I do want to kind of start at the beginning a bit, right? When did sure. trading card games come into your life? Uh, so like the creators of flesh and blood, I started playing trading card games with Yu-Gi-Oh back in the day. So I, I started Yu-Gi-Oh when I was in high school like late middle school in like 2010 2009 ish and uh you know i skedaddled i had my blue eyes white dragon deck i didn't win any single matches but (laughs) as time went on you know i was like you know i'm gonna get a little bit competitive so around like 2011 2012 i got competitive i started shopping the equivalent of callings in Yu-Gi-Oh, which is called ycs's and i got really competitive into that but then the problem with Yu-Gi-Oh is power creep so it started to get very combo-y, very, you know, not the best player wins, but the player who opens the best wins, which sure. is at that point, it starts to teeter off for me because I, I want to try to outplay my opponent, mm-hmm. not beat 
be outplayed by the deck itself, like where I have no control, no matter what I do, I still lose. Right. And, uh, so I started to teeter off Yu-Gi-Oh around like 2017 ish, 2016 ish. So then I shifted over to magic and, uh, kind of the same happened in there. So I got in at like the end of the golden age from what I was told for magic and modern where you had like Jund and this and that. And, but once they started to wane off and all these modern horizon sets came out and everything became just, you know, no holes barred. Uh, I started to wane from that too. And then COVID hit. So didn't really have a chance to go play in any tournaments. And then one random day in August in July of 2020, I walked into my LGS and uh, shout out to heroes collectibles in Houston, Texas. But I walked into my good friend, Tyler there, he runs the front and he goes, Hey, uh, there's this new game that came out. I have a box of it. Do you want to open it? I was like, sure. What is it? He's like, oh, it's uh, uh, Flesh and Blood. I'm like, sounds gnarly. And uh, <laughs> he handed me a box of Crucible of War. And he goes, here, open it. And I opened up a Skullhorn. I'm like, oh, this is like cool. This is like an ulti rare from uh, Ultimate Rare from Yu-Gi-Oh! It's the cold foiling and the Ultimate Rare from Yu-Gi-Oh! are very similar. It's like the stamp metallic. Mm. And uh, so that, you know, instantly lit uh, like a nostalgic fuse for me. And I was like, you know what? You know, I want to dig in and bought a bunch of Crucible of War boxes and went on into Fab from there. Yeah. I mean, you know, those uh, cold foils really do kind of bring people in. Now, I, I got I to ask. So you kind of kind of touch on it there with like the cold foiling and then the, the ulti rares that you're mentioning Yu-Gi-Oh! Which, first yeah. of all, you playing until 2017, That's you, you held on pretty long for Yu-Gi-Oh! I tried. I tried. <laughs> I, I was looking for a lifeguard. I was looking for someone to pull me out. No one pulled me out, so I got stuck, and I was like, ah, oh, all righty. Well, well we're, we're, we're glad you're here now. So, But, you know, you, you mentioned these kind of ultra-rare cold foil. Were you always into the, the collectability side of things as well? Not, not exactly. So, uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh!, there's this stigma that a lot of pro players have, and it's that their decks are always max rarity, highest rarity physically possible. Everything is as shiny as possible. And so when you grow up young and you're thinking like that, you're just like, oh, you know, I want to make my deck as shiny as possible. And you inadvertently start collecting. Yeah, It's not that you're, it's not that you're going out to do that. It's just you're like, oh, I want the, the best rarity version of this. I'm just going to pick it up. And then your collection just amasses that way. So the best the best person that I can compare that to in Fab is actually a good friend of mine, Nick Butcher. Okay. Nick Butcher his his he plays on the Spellground mats, which are like the Yu Gi Oh you know epitome for mat, and then he has his deck. It's all high rarity, and you know he has his coal foil equipment and this and that. And it's it's the same thing where it's just like as Yu Gi Oh players were ingrained that you have to have the max rarity deck and this and that. So I just naturally went out. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna go get my coal foil equipment because there's no other option for me. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I, I get, it, you know, we want to bling. We can't help it. I think yeah. it's human nature. We want to yeah. bling things out, yeah. you know, and, 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 and if you have the disposable income, why not? Um, yeah. I'm not like that. Well, I, I would love to be that person, right? I would love yeah. to bling out, but I do not treat my decks correct. I'm like, you know, pot, like riffle shuffling <laughs> like as hard as I can and, and like, and just like mashing it together. I'm just, I'm not that guy, you know, I, I can't take care of things. There's something wrong with me, but you know, uh, but I, I totally get it. Right. You know, and, and I could see how that would kind of make you inadvertently a, a collector. Now, 
TCGs have become part of your professional life now at this point, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, I mean, you're dealing in with it, and you know, yeah. hey, you're making ads, right? You know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, uh, when did you know that you wanted to kind of dip your toes into that side of things? So I was always. Once again, everything happens inadvertently, but because because I had all that collection in Yu-Gi-Oh, and I had the high rarity stuff. Sometimes, like in Yu-Gi-Oh, the power creep would happen, and your high rarity stuff becomes you know unusable because it's just been power creep. So you would need to sell it, and you know, re retransform that money into something else. So I was always into the buying and selling portion from there. But when I got to Fab and I saw like you know all these new high rarity cards, I wanted to get this and that. I thought, well, you know, I could try to buy and sell and try to just, you know, use the same money I have and turn it into something else and, you know, use the profits from that to buy a card and then just, you know, go from there. That's, that's actually how Hammurabi TCG started. It was mostly from me wanting to not have to pay for a single card. I wanted to play every card I could. I wanted to play the game, but I wanted to play for free. Yeah. And as, I mean, you know, every, small things have, you know, big beginnings or i think i messed up that quote but anyways <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was trying to initially help the community at the same time as help myself mm -hmm. and it just grew into you know the singles thing that it is now yeah well it, it's it's ideally you know we, we would all love to kind of like stay at that net kind of yeah like positive or even even like even you just want to stay even and yeah. I mean, sure, you're always going to have that initial investment. You have to, right? You have to get yeah. some some stuff in, into your into your you know collection to to be able to trade up for for things. So um, no, it, it's that's pretty cool that that's kind of how it started. And I think you, I the quote was probably close enough. Let's just we'll just I, I try I tried man. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna say it was right. So, but um, no, how long have you? like been like on the other side of the booth because you know i i saw you at the calling indianapolis you're behind the booth at uh was it magnolia yeah so me and my uh the friend who owns magnolia games his name is spencer we're good friends and we met before the first american calling so i've been doing every single calling except i think two i've done in america that there's been so I, we started with the tales of aria one um me and him had like I, I've been doing boots for Yu-Gi-Oh prior. Like I, I would have local stores hire me out to be their buyers and stuff like that because I just knew how what the cards were worth and I'm a good talker. So they're like, you know, just we'll stick you up there. You look pretty enough, you know, you can be a half booth babe, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll get you to attract people. So I was like, okay. So uh, I talked to my friend Spencer, and he's like, hey, I'm thinking about doing the booth for the calling. This was during the Tales of Aria pre-release. So he's like, you know, you do you know like what goes into doing a booth and this. So we talked, we talked, and we had our first booth then. And uh, he basically, you know, he hires me out to work for him, and he's a good friend. So I just help him out, and it ends up being a dynamic like that. But basically, from almost every single Fab event I've been to, I've been behind the booth. Basically, well, uh, I did, I did Vegas, Dallas, Orlando the first year they had it. And then last year I did everything but Indy. And then this year I started with Indy, and then I'm, I'll be in Baltimore as well. Sounds like you might be in Auckland as well. In Auckland <laughs> as well, too, yeah. I leave in a week, and hopefully, you know, I get to meet some people and hang out with some, you know, overseas friends and stuff like that. <laughs> it's very cool. So it's, it's, you know, for the listeners, 
we had never met face to face him on me but we had yeah. always chatted and obviously we had done the ad together and i am at the calling indianapolis and i'm looking to pick up some snags because they're pretty cheap right now and i think it's going to be good when people are playing a lot of razor reflexes uh don't take my word for it in in this, this is actually my buddy jim actually turned me on to he's like snag's really good you know i'm like actually you're right um but i'm, I'm like oh i go to magnolia i'm like uh how many snags you guys got and all of a sudden i hear from behind the booth i hear the bazaar's got what you need so <laughs> and i'm like oh my god how you doing man so him like you know if you haven't watched the ad and i'll post the link for it uh in in the show notes but that was the whole thing the bazaar's got what you need and i thought that was so cool it's like oh my god that's hammurabi tcg no way so it was cool to see uh get the you know that's that's the beauty of this game putting a uh face yeah. to the name right you know and, and getting to meet people so so you've been you, you've been on the other side of the the booth you know you 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 do some single stuff you do some secondary market stuff do you get to play often I do. So I, I get to play once a week, basically, because uh, my, my actual job, I work in legal. So I'm uh, super busy all the time, but I get to eke out one armory a week. So same store I mentioned prior, Heroes Collectibles, we have them every Wednesday. So I get to go. We have a rotating format, so I get to play all my decks there and pretty much. And then when we have ProQuest, RTNs and stuff like that, I'll play as well. I'm not that bad, to be honest. <laughs> what? I, I've, I've taught, I, I've taught two pro quests, and I was just like, <laughs> "Well, you have to know at least what cards are good, right? You know, right. from what you do. So, like, I would assume you're pretty good, and you were, you were a good Yu-Gi-Oh player. So, I think uh, yeah. it all, all equals to good, maybe better than me, most likely, I would say. Yeah. But um, Texas, the Texas scene is killer there because we have like. We have the the Cole Foil control guys. We have Dalen Mack. We have Brendan Patrick Brody. So it's just savage oh, down there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's the savage lands. <laughs> you would know as a fellow Reinhardt player. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I I, I I gotta say, I mean, I relate, and I've said it on the show plenty of times. New Jersey's also pretty brutal. Um, but you know, we got some. They're nice. That's good, right? You know, they're nice, and they don't take the armories too seriously, at least anymore, now that, you know, it's easier to, to get to more events, which is which is good. Now, you, you mentioned that Flesh and Blood came in the picture when you, when you bought the Crucible War box. Was it just a snowball effect after that, or was it like, oh, that was cool, you know, I have these cards, and now we'll see what happens, or... or you know, when did you really know it was like the, the hooks were in with Flesh and Blood? Uh, it was, I, I want to say it was the same thing. I'm not sure if you've seen How I Met Your Mother. Uh, but you know that scene where Barney holds up his baby for the first time? And he's like, <laughs> you're my everything. That's what, that's how I felt when I held up my coal foil ether conduit. I'm like, you are my everything. <laughs> and it just, it just latched me in. And I just started going in. I was like, you know. I wonder if I can make a deck from Crucible of War, and I found out the hard way that you cannot because there's not enough cards in there, and it's an ancillary set. So then, at that time, WTR and Arc weren't there wasn't an unlimited out, so it was like really hard to get, and the prices weren't as egregious as they are now, but they were still relatively high for a brand new game. It was like two hundred dollars a box. You're like, eh, I don't know if I want to spend two hundred dollars a box. <laughs> so, I mean, I should have, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I'll wait for the Unlimited, and then the Unlimited sets came out, and I started playing, and it, it just instantly latched me on. 
And that was just like, you know, it, it, it's it's the attrition of the game that got me. Because in Yu-Gi-Oh, I was always like a like a control, stun, attrition type of player. Like, I want to try to get incremental advantage. And same thing in Magic. I played Jund, which is just, you know, tries to one-for-one one or tries to get advantage using one card against their one card until you get uh, to a state of the game where there's both players have nothing. And then you just try to eke out a win from there. Mm-hmm. Which... It's what I love because in Fab it's essentially the same thing. It's like you have this incremental advantage, and you're trying to you know get tempo and try to you know uh, play your cards correctly, try to get the most out of them, and go from there. So just transferring it all over, I'm just hoping this game doesn't become like a combo thing where like every deck's a Kano. Yeah, but oh God, <laughs> it's been it's been good so far. So just along for the ride. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm totally with you. I'm the same way. I love the attrition, and I fear the combo. You know, because you know, yeah, like like you said with Yu-Gi-Oh, right? You know, it's how you open. If you open the best, the game's over. Doesn't matter. Exactly. I don't. Th- I, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like things not mattering matters. If that makes sense, like it matters 100%. to yeah. uh, like r- players because it's it's a fun factor thing, right? So, um, pretty cool, pretty cool. Now, you know, we're gonna talk a little bit about the health of the game from a market perspective in a bit. But what are your thoughts on the health of the game currently for players? I think, personally, the game is in a good spot. Uh, basing it off of two things. One, you can technically kind of win with any hero, in a sense, right? Like You saw Boltons at top tables at ProQuest, and you see all these Bolton savants everywhere. Ethan's running around with his Levia list. I'm sure you are as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like... All these, all these heroes, all fifteen of them. I think the only one that has a tough time is Arachne, but that's just because there's just not enough cards in in their pool right now. So you're just trying to figure out how you know you can maneuver that deck. But in my eyes, I see every hero being viable, which is a good and a bad thing. It's good in the sense that you know every person doesn't have like a like their only deck that's just like oh it's irrelevant now this format you can't play it even if you try to win you can't you know there's the opportunity for everybody to win but the skill level is very high yeah in this format that's why you see repeat winners like michael hamilton like Tariq patel like all these guys that are at the top tables all the time but and you see also like reoccurring names like charles dunn charles dunn i think he's he lives up there up north and uh He's uh, topped uh, won a couple battle hardens and got second at this most recent calling, and you see these reoccurring games because the skill level is so high. And in those types of formats, I feel like the game is in its healthiest because it rewards you for playing whatever you're best at. But also, if you're playing something that everybody else is playing, if you're really good at it, it rewards you even more because you'll win the matchups. You you know the lines. You know when to block, when not to block, you know, which resources to dump when, you know, like I'm going to block my Oak and Old here because I don't care because I have X resources and X pitch stack coming up later in the game. That'll win. the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. And, you know, sure. They, they did some bands and stuff like that, but there's always going to be yeah. bands. There's always <laughs> going to be shakeups. It's like impossible. Like, you know, everybody's like, Oh, Oldham's oppressive. And then, and then yeah. they get a band and then Oldham wins the calling right after, or no, it could, it could like, five of the top eight were in the top, uh, top eight of the calling uh, Icelander one because Michael Hamilton, of course, but yeah. And then Bravo sneaks out a win at battle Harden, uh, uh, over in Europe over the weekend. Italy? Yeah. Italy, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, it's, 
it's all crazy. I think anything could really work right now. You know, it's just a matter of what did you bring and what did you play against during the Swiss rounds, which is which is yeah. which is good, which is a good thing. Now, where do you see the game going in the next five years? Because it, it, it's off to a really hot spot uh, start, right? You know, you know, yeah. sputtered a little bit with COVID, but what can you do? And then we're we're on the eve of Outsiders being a huge release. I, I see the game going well. I just see three major things they need to address. And if they address these, then I think the game is completely fine. The first one is intro-level product. They need a cheaper classic battle intro-level deck, which they're seeing. I see them with those uh, History Pack 1 Blitz decks. But I want to see how they go from there. And I feel like just having all your starter products centralized around Blitz is a problem in itself. Like you need to have like a let's say like a CC starter deck or like a UPF starter deck. You know, like I understand it adds more product and could cause more fatigue and stuff like that. And it's the same complaint Magic players have. Like, oh, you have like fifty million different things coming out every time a set comes out. Yeah. But just having like just the option, like imagine a classic battle with two CC decks, right? Like in charge, you can charge forty dollars for that and get away with it because it's two full fledged CC decks, right? Um, but gives a new player an opportunity to like learn other formats straight off the bat versus just going straight into blitz because i've seen this problem at my locals where new players get in and they get into blitz and then they it's hard for them to adapt to the cc mentality mm-hmm. because they learn that in because in blitz life is is less of a resource more of like a like a thing that you have to guard very well mm-hmm. in cc you can take a full swing turn so you can pivot and then try to you know just tempo them out the rest of the game by like ripping their hand apart every single turn yeah. but it, it's hard to learn that concept if you're not playing cc at all because a lot of these new players they are all blitz only and this and that and that's what i've noticed like at, at our turnouts or our tournaments you'll see the same cc grinders that come all the time that are just you know cc players but they also play blitz but I, I haven't seen the inverse of it where you see blitz grinders who also play CC, which I feel like it's because there's no starter product there. The second thing would be non-foil fable. I feel that with Fab 2.0, it's been great. It's been fantastic for the game, you know, having all these legendaries easily available and lower rarities and high rarity versions for the collectors to chase. And same thing with fables and these marvels and stuff like that. It's cool. The non-foil fabled, I feel like if they're emphasizing tournament play, it should have been non-foil fabled, coal foil fabled, and no rainbow foil. Because that way, the these pro players, if the card becomes played, and you can see that it might, it'll be relatively cheap if it's not a reprint card like Command and Conquer, like with like Blood of the Tri or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, you can, uh, what's it called? Have these reprints of not reprints in the sense. Like, these reprints will be chase cards, like the $400 Command and Conquer, but, like, Blood of the Dry of $40 for a brand new Fable. Like, a non-foil version, and you can see these competitive players play them in their decks, not worry about having to get DQ'd and stuff like that. So creating these non-foil variants for tournament play, especially if they're, like, forcing people, not forcing, but emphasizing people to go the tournament route, the Pro Tour route, these all these ProQuest, RTNs, and stuff like that. You want to funnel them into these higher-level events, but then you punish them for playing the cards that you print. Yeah. Like Nitro Mechanoid is another example. That only comes Cold Foil, and it comes Rainbow Foil, and it comes Marble. Mm-hmm. There's no non-foil. Like, why would you not print a non-foil so then these people who 
want to play the deck like the dragons how they were in non-foil they can play the deck without having to worry about uh you know uh burrito inside their deck or something like just folding up yeah giving them a dq here's the last oh yeah go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. yeah before There's... before you leave to the last one i do have a question about that right sure. do you think right so let's say they they had done so hard to find those right the 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 hot ticket fable right now because it's it's really good yeah. in these control decks right and do you think that if it was available in non-foil all of a sudden becomes a little bit more uh accessible right and maybe we see more maybe not more accessible but you know it the yeah. stark difference between the cold foil and the non-foil i think would be greater than maybe the rainbow foil yeah. um that that that's what I think personally because the foiling in itself provides like a premium for mm-hmm. players so like oh it it's shiny right yeah. so therefore it's worth more. Uh, but the non-foil would I I feel like like right now hard to find though as of uh, as of mid February it's around five hundred dollars for a rainbow foil copy. Now, if there was a non-foil version, I feel like the non-foil would be four hundred at the set four hundred three fifty at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's from an out of print set. Yes, it's a, the first fable, so it holds a premium in itself in that right. But having a non-foil version deters some people from getting the rainbow foil version and stuff. You know what I mean? Like chasing after. But the issue with Heart is is that the highest rarity version of it is the Lotus of the game. It's yeah. the chase card. So it's like six, ten, twelve, whatever thousand dollars it is for whatever condition you want. So Heart is very awkward with this because there's no other high level to get there. But like stuff like Blood of Jakai, Guardian of Valahai, Corsham, Library, those are much easier to see that oh okay, you know, if there's a non foil version, you can play it in competitive decks and be worth relatively less and your difference is like 50 60 bucks yeah yeah i mean i guess you know heart heart was probably a bad example but like let's say if we saw another fabled with the playability of heart printed mm-hmm. we get the cold foil and then a non-foil um mm-hmm. do you think that if people started playing a lot of the non-foil because it's a little bit easier and like people aren't worried about being dq'd or anything like we like we just mentioned um mm-hmm. Does that drive the price of the cold foil? Because all of a sudden it's showing up in more lists because yeah. it is available in non-foil. I think so. And then obviously the non-foil would drop at a much easier rate mm-hmm. than the cold foil. So I feel like it, it, it indirectly helps both parties in mm-hmm. that sense. That like the players get their version where they don't have to worry about getting kicked out of a tournament that they spend money to fly to, that they spent money on their deck, that they spent to test and time and this and that. And at the same time, these collectors, collectors always want to see their investments go up. Mm-hmm. So once they see the high demand there, the chase goes up and you know, vice versa. Like, for example, if there was a non-foil Marvel CNC, right? I mean, not Marvel, a fabled CNC. Yeah. Maybe the fable, the cold foil version would have been five, six, seven hundred dollars by now. The non-foil version would be two hundred. But it's it's this like balancing act that yeah. happens a lot of the time. Yeah. Then yeah, so and sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to get that out of there before you get to your last point. But uh, no yeah, yeah. Uh, what was your the last, last point? My last point was that I need I want to see the game address reprints properly. Mm-hmm. So in the sense, like all these decks, they either need they have look okay. So Fab has two routes that they can take. You can go the Yu Gi Oh route, then go the Magic route. So the Yu Gi Oh route is power creep everything. CNC, ah, here's CNC 2.0. Art mm-hmm. of War, here's 
there's fart of war. I saw the meme on Twitter today. And I was just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this is hilarious. But like just, you know, something that just makes the other version obsolete. Then on the other end, you could go the magic route where it's like you have these reprint sets and you reprint all these sets, but not history pack wise, like more on the sense of like, here's a curated list of 100 cards and we're reprinting them in the set that you can get. And it's uh, in stores for a limited time. There's only one or two runs. And then after that, it's gone, right? It's just a reprint to lower the price and increase the supply. So something like that, Yu-Gi-Oh! does that as well with Megatons. But what they do in those Megatons is that they, they take a card, let's say Command & Conquer, since we're just talking about it, it's easier. They'll reprint Command & Conquer in a different rarity. But Fab, it's very hard for them to do that. So Yu-Gi-Oh! you have Ultimate Rare, Super Rare. Super Rare is where it's just the images foil. Ultra Rare is where the images foil and the text is golden. You have secret rare where it's kind of like uh, like a white whitish foil, like a prismatic rainbowy effect, mm-hmm. and then you have ultimate rare, which is similar to coal foil. So let's say Command and Conquer came off in a super rarity where only the image is foil, and then in the Mega Ten they reprint it in the prismatic shiny version. So there's like a different higher end version or a lower end version, but there's more supply of it. I feel like that's difficult to do with Fab because you only have two foil printing, right? You yeah. have you have coal foil, you have rainbow foil, and then you have non-foil. So it's really difficult to teeter, especially since every set has either the card in rainbow, non, or cold. So it, it becomes awkward. So then the other option is the magic route, where you have like modern masters types of sets, where you have reprint sets, a curated list of cards that you want to release into supply so you can have these prices drive down a little bit. But with uh, how they handle reprint equity on their cards like art of war e-strike tunic now with tunic hitting almost two two hundred fifty three hundred dollars it becomes really hard for a new player to be like you know i want to get in and play they're like well i'm at a disadvantage now because i have to play blossom of spring while my opponent has a tunic he's going to get a resource every three turns and he's playing oldham and i'm playing i and i'm only going to get a resource once and i just have to deal with it so just having those opportunities that they can you know create like i don't i don't know what they would do because they've already done the white border route and reprinting a white border card again a white border would be a problem yeah or i feel like the best route that they can do is make different art versions of it and you know go that way or if they want to create like a rainbow border like like, oh here's a red border to it like like something you know just some differentiation of like a tier list basically yeah and you know i think it's it's, it is a matter of of probably doing it smart right you know it, yeah. i i play a lot of magic so i i remember like modern masters i i believe the first modern masters even the second one maybe were, were like kind of hits right and i don't think mm-hmm. they really they didn't like dive the price but it kind of helped the prices of some cards i think the the main one that i'm thinking of was tarmogoyf right that yep. was like an insanely expensive card at the time they reprint it with new art um and uh it, it kind of drove it down a bit it was just a little bit more um you know uh, available so something like that because we don't want these cards to be worth nothing right and and yeah. and because then we run into the issues with the collectors and you know and, and we're seeing a huge fallout in magic with that market right now you know things exactly. just i found i found like full art like uh path to exiles the other day right and i was like oh i'll I wonder how much they are. You know, looked looked on. I was like, oh, fifty cents. I was like, oh, okay. It does. It, you know, I was like, that kind of. It was kind of a bummer, but you know, we don't yes. want that in fab. So yeah, I guess it's. I mean, it's. I guess we're not the the ones to 
make those decisions, but hopefully um, they do it oh, right. Man. <laughs> Maybe I can nudge some feathers when I go next week into Auckland and be like, hey, man, you know, you know I have this idea. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, listen, I, I got a couple other things I'd like you to tell them. Uh, I'll tell you off air, but, uh, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, before we get to the fresh faves, I just want to ask, what was it like to work with such amazing voice actors on your ad? Um, <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. You know, uh, Gary gave me the clamps and uh, he was uh, gr- he was great about it. I was like, hey, you know, do you have like a line you want to say repeatedly? Kind of like a catchphrase. He goes, he goes, can I say or you get the clamps several times. And he sent me like 90 variations of him saying, oh, I'm going to give me the clamps. And it's just like high pitch, low pitch, like guttural voices. I'm like, Jesus, Gary, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I've learned with Gary is that you give him you give him a task. He does it. You know, he's, he's, he's all in. I just uh, love about him. But w- can you give us a little bit of a origin story on the Hammurabi TCG? Just, you know, the name, what made you choose it? Sure. Uh, so I started Hammurabi TCG with Monarch uh, Unlimited release, right? Monarch first edition was so expensive. And I was like, you know, I'm going to buy a bunch of cases of Monarch Unlimited, mostly because I wanted to get my own set to play with so I could play Prism because that was the hero I, I was most interested in from the set. I was like, but I don't want to spend $1,000 on a footsteps. I don't want to spend uh, $1,500 on a library. But at the time, uh, I remember I bought these off Star City Games. And they had cases for $300 shipped, $305 shipped. While first edition cases were like $1,800. Like, this seems much better of a, you know, of a value proposition. So I just bought a bunch of cases and I was just like, you know, I'm going to keep my own set and then sell the rest and see what happens. And I started doing that and I I moved on to WTRNR. I started partnering with stores uh, locally and then I started partnering with stores all around the country eventually it grew to what it is now where I partner with over 75 LGSs across the country and I buy product from all of them across the country from different countries and everything. And basically supply singles to like what, 30, 40% of the world wow. for fab in general. Yeah. So I do, I do most big countries. I've did a lot in the Brazil. I did a lot for Mexico. I did a lot in Sweden and Poland, I've done a lot to Australia and New Zealand itself. So it, it grew just out of just sheer, you know, just, I guess I'll open some more packs and yeah. started selling cards and it just went from there. But the name itself was based on the fables, right? So I, I was looking at the heart and the eye and I was like, what's a, what's a cool name I can come up with. So Hammurabi TCG came from the, the phrase from Hammurabi's law that says an eye for an eye. Mm-hmm. So it, my logic was, I was like, oh, I can make like a cool logo where there's like a Middle Eastern dude holding an eye of a fitty in his hand. And he has an <laughs> eye of a fitty on him and he's like an eye for an eye. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I like, I had an artist draw it up and I got the rendition. And that's who the, the guy you voice acted was, was the, the artist rendition of like this Middle Eastern guy. And the original picture has him holding an eye in one hand and an eye in the other hand. He's keeping one and giving you the <laughs> other one. So it, that was the whole like origin story of Hammurabi TCG. I love it. I love it. That's so awesome. I yeah. I didn't even know that when I when I was watching it and voicing it. I mean, I, I, mean, I was in the mind state of a north jersey mobster so i guess it wasn't (laughs) exactly the same but now let's get to the fresh faves Uh, i'm going to ask you a couple of your favorite things from the game and hopefully you answer and are you ready sure first who is your favorite hero uh prism and viscerai viscerai was my first prism was my first love and now it's back to viscerai 
Fair answer. I'm sure Gary likes that one. Uh, oh, yeah. Which weapon is your favorite? My favorite weapon is Iris of Reality. It's just it's just so awful and fantastic at the same time. Oh, you yeah. look at it, and you're like, this is terrible. And then you play it, and you're like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> I mean, I'm loving those Iris Dromide decks that I'm saying. They are really cool. Oh, man. I took I took one of them to a pro quest and I ended up going four two and bubbled. But man, the face on olden players when you sit down and you flip over the iris instead of the storm of the Sandicott, they're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's pretty incredible. I mean, like burn them all is like so good in that deck. But um, which is your favorite equipment? My favorite equipment would have to be carrying husk. Hell yeah! There, there, there was a bit. Where Viscerai was not good, and Chain had come out, and I was like, oh, let me learn how to play Chain. And I was like, man, this Husk is doing some work. And I just got like, oh, this is so great. And then I played some Leviathan and Skirmish, and I was like, this is this is really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the it's just, it's there's no real nuance to carrying Husk. It's just beefy. No. <laughs> the art is sick, too. It's like a, like a dead demon just looks oh, like hanging yeah. out there, and it's just like, oh, it's awesome. So sick. Uh, and which is your favorite run-of-the-mill card, your your attack actions, your non-attack actions, your instance, the cards you throw in your deck? Um, my favorite card to throw into all my decks is Lead the Charge, because I just feel like it's just, at, at times, it's just, like, really wonky, but it makes these, like, really crazy lines. Like, in Viscerai with Creepers, you can, like, flash it out and do really wonky things, and it just helps you do a bunch of cool things. And that's my favorite non-attack. My favorite attack I like to throw into decks is ravenous rabble like even if it should not belong i'm just like it's free why not why not play it <laughs> yeah 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 you cut some extra blues and yellows out of the deck throw it in there you're hoping to hit yeah. more reds than than blues i get it i get it right. um yeah well thank you for doing the fresh face those are good answers i mean i love the carrying hussy answer because you know i'm a big carrying husk <laughs> <Impart> simp <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about the secondary market, right? Cause you're, you're involved in it and something that, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, and then we'll answer some listener questions, but first let's talk about the market. So there's no doubt that flesh and blood has ups and downs in the singles market. You know, we've seen things go sky high and then not, not necessarily rock bottom or anything like that, but we've seen things even out. Right. So I thought who better to comment on than you. So, how would you say the health of the market is currently? I think the market is okay. If I were to give it a percentage, one to a hundred, I would say the market's at a 90% right now. Okay. The health wise. So it's pretty healthy. The only problem that I'm coming across now is that the demand is exceeding the supply. And this is specifically on older sets like arc, like crucible, like, um, WTR now in a sense with the tunics and the hearts. There's so much demand, there's not enough supply. Like even as a store for me to get more product or even for me as a store to buy singles, a lot of people don't want to sell their items or they don't want to, uh, or they don't have any to sell to begin with. So in that sense is where that 10% negativity is coming from is that there, there's not enough supply the demand that the game is growing and the game is, you know, becoming more, which is what we all want as fat players. Like, you know, we want our game to grow yeah. and 
that helps all of us because we get to play in bigger tournaments. We get to have you know better prize support. We get more people to play with, like you know more friends. Like it's yeah. fantastic. But the only problem is is that there's just not enough supply. Like Crucible is the biggest issue in my opinion. Like it's very difficult to fill Crucible of War or singles. It's very hard to get Majestics from the set because there just no one has it. And anyone who has it, they're just wanting to like a premium for either sealed product or for the singles themselves because they're all like between like five and ten and fifteen dollars. So are you finding that the history pack did not alleviate this problem? Not at all. Yeah. Because the history pack, if anything, is more short printed than the Crucible or so. <laughs> so when they when they released history pack back in May of last year, they the 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 issue that they did was they didn't release it in like sizable ways. They trickled it out. But I'm not sure whose decision that was, whether it was LSS, distribution or whoever, but that's what ended up happening, and a lot of stores they got like two to three cases or three to four cases, and then they would get like a case or so a week going forward. But to meet the demand of a reprint set, like that's not enough. Like I'm, I'm sure, like you know, you know your Magic days when Modern Masters came out or those reprint sets came out, so they would get like a crap ton the first wave, and then they would get trickle effects after. There was still a sizable first wave, and then mm-hmm. people would open and sell and do that. But if there's not enough for people to open. And it becomes a problem, like with Black Border History Pack, for example, where it wasn't large enough, and now all these collectors are buying it and they're opening it because the, you can get a fabled and you can get these Marvel heroes and this and that. But History Pack One never had that, so a lot of stores either kept it or it just never came out. It's interesting. Now, what do you think they could do to alleviate this? Right? You know, we talked a little bit about like reprint stuff, but you know. Arc, WTR, Crew are still from the era of Unlimited and First Edition. You know, I know we've moved past it. We're in Fab 2.0. But do you think it would make sense for Flesh and Blood or LSS to was like, well, okay, it's un- it's still unlimited. We'll print just a little yeah. bit more. We'll just throw a little bit more. We'll, we'll print to uh, a set a demand that, that the market's craving right now. Uh, is that yeah. something smart or, or, or is that kind of you know, f- it could backfire. Uh, yeah. I feel like it could backfire in the sense that it's, uh, you're seeing that issue in Magic now where, like, the reserve list and the Magic 30th thing, where it's like, oh, once you've crossed the word or crossed the line, it's hard to go back. Mm-hmm. So with with uh, LSS saying that, you know, WTR, ARC, and crew are out of print, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to print more. I guess it could cause a lot of like fallout and a lot of collectors, a lot of players being like, uh, you know, like what the heck, you know, I spent my $250 on a tunic and now here you are making a hundred thousand more boxes and my tunic less worth it. Right. I think the appropriate way to handle it would be to either a make a new reprint set and just have like a, like a best of 2021 fab, like a, you know, like, you know, like one of those, that's all you got music, CDs mm-hmm. from back in the day, like just do that. Have your greatest hits of that year, mm-hmm. and just like have a reprint set, or more history pack. Like to be fair, if you print more history pack and have it more readily readily available for stores to get, where they can get like 10, 15, 20 cases, and they can crack some from singles and stuff like that and sell it, it, it can help alleviate that problem as well. It's something similar to what uh, Fluke is doing in Australia. He was able to get a bunch of uh, history pack and stuff like that, and he's cracking it so he can you know, sell singles and just white border singles to all the players in Australia that want them. 
Sure, sure. Now, here's here's a, actually a thought here. Now that they've launched in in um, uh, well, they've they've launched in Brazil, right? And they just lost launched in Japan, right? So, yeah. so those are those are some languages, I believe. I don't think Portuguese is a is a printed language, and Japanese is certainly not a printed language yet. Do you think that's a, a great opportunity for LSS to use that to reprint some stuff? I think so. I think they should do a history pack localized for them. Maybe do history pack one localized in Portuguese and in um, what's it called in Japanese. Mm-hmm. I could see the Japanese happening more sure. than the Portuguese would just because the size the Portuguese market is just basically some African speaking, uh, some African countries, uh, Portugal and Brazil, right? Yeah. It's mostly that the player base is large, but just building that product for three areas is that, but the Japanese market is always the biggest market mm-hmm. secondary to the U S when it comes to card games, because they love card games. Yeah. So I could see them, I could see them doing the Japanese version first. Cause even then a lot of American players covet Japanese, you know, cards and stuff like that. Like I'm sure if they made like a prism Marvel in Japanese, everyone here would go bonkers for it. And they would, <laughs> they, would they would put down payments on their house. just so they could get one. <laughs> yeah, Refinance <laughs> their mortgages and stuff like yeah. that. Oh my <laughs> God. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, it could be interesting, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with that market in general. It's still very fresh there. So, okay. um, is there anything that you worry about with the market? In flesh and blood, I know that you've mentioned that there's some things uh, that you you worry about in the game health in general. But in the market, do you think do you worry about any kind of well, like a ban that might really, you know, really crash your the like, a certain price of the uh, card? I think I think it's how they're treating some legendaries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what I, all I can think of. Like I, I, buyouts happen, you know, they happen in every single thing in life whether it's you know stocks you know toilet paper during a pandemic whatever if people want to buy something and they see other people buying it fomo is going to kick in and they're going to buy it as well it's just it's just a way of life so i'm indifferent to that but when it comes to like banning legendaries and stuff like that and i felt like they, they took a proper route like in the article that they released recently about their bans with winterwell hypothermia they said that you know we don't want to have that that feeling of you cracking your first legendary taken away from you because it's a band of legendary and they said that with regards to crown of seeds so if they tread in that way going forward i can see it being beneficial mm-hmm. now you don't really have to worry about that as much in the sense that a lot of the newer legendaries that come out are relatively cheaper what the first six sets of legendaries were at release, right? Like Stalagmite at release was $265. Now it's sitting at a hot $40, (laughs) right? So it's, uh, it becomes less of a problem the more and more you go into the future and stuff like that, because the sets are printed, not more, but more and more is being opened at release, which helps stabilize the price long-term because the inverse was happening with WTR, Art, Crew, Mon, and all those sets. Not much was open at release because everyone wanted to set aside their case and, you know, play Yahtzee with the future and be like, well, one day my case is going to be worth $2,000 and the mod's going to go to one k But what that did was it created droughts in the supply in the market because no one was opening anything. So there's not enough singles to get it. 
And that's probably a reason why my store took off because no one else was opening singles except me and a few other select stores like uh, Fab TCG Cards Gym mm -hmm. and uh, a former store, Midtown Merchant, Mitch Murray. Uh, it was just us three basically opening cards. So that's probably why it, our, our three individual stores, you know, took off a little bit from there. Uh, Mitch unfortunately closed his store because, you know, he had more priorities in life and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that that's what it is. But um, I think that was the main reason that the supply just was not there. And then going forward, if they address and they keep all these things in line, I think it should be pretty much fine. But it's just a concern how they how they walk the tightrope. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something else has kind of come up lately was uh, there's been more reports of counterfeits. Is is this is this a concern for you, um, or, or do you do, or do you think this is just a couple issue or instances of this happening, or, or is this something that we should worry about more as as the game grows? I think it's a problem of concern. So, um, for example, I had a friend of mine. He's a content creator. His name is uh, Oliver Fi. He works. Uh, he has OKNY podcast. He posts like gameplay videos on YouTube and stuff like that. He had purchased a set of the, uh, I believe they're Chinese fake scenes, the the ones, the Happy New Year ones with the lunar cookie on it. And uh, he had received a set and they ended up being fake. And me and him, we conversed because I had my own personal set and we're like, you know, let's, let's compare them and see if it was fake or not. We ended up coming to the fact that his were fake and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So once you start seeing these high-end premium chase cards, like the fake machines are $300, $400 each start getting counterfeit and the counterfeits were good enough to the point where reputable sellers were like looking at them and they're like, Oh, this, this looks real enough. And wow. it passes 90% of the test. Maybe the other 10% is just, you know, it got printed on a different sheet. It got printed at a different time. Maybe the printer got started running out of ink. Maybe he had an HP inkjet and the inkjet conked out. Like who knows, <laughs> right? So uh, like, you know, you got to account for those variations, but it looked good enough to pass, but, that's kind of scary. Like, for example, I, I, I wrote an email to LSS saying like, Hey, this is a bunch of stuff I found do with it, what you will, but they're making counterfeits. And I had purchased a set of them from him. So I can use this reference material just in case I come across them. I can feel them and stuff like that. So like the issues that I found with them is that their fonts are not the same. So mm. their bottom font, they're not able to replicate the same font that uh, Fab does for okay. some reason. It's the, the boldness of it, the thickness of it, but what they are able to replicate is the exact foiling. Like, for example, on a heart, there's certain parts that are foil and certain parts that are not foil. And oh, you wow. get that shimmer effect when you hold it. And they were able to mimic that. Same thing on a Striders. Like on a Striders, the boot itself is not shiny, but the fire around it is shiny. So... And they were able to replicate that. So on those rainbow foils, it becomes an item of concern because you're just like, you know, I don't, I don't know, and this and that. Like, but it's easy, just easier to tell from the cardstock because a lot of the sets they were printed in Japan, the red tape boxes that people get, mm -hmm. and the cardstock is very easily distinguishable. And then, like for example, I got a shock charmer sent to me. And it was like not the Japanese stock, and the Japanese stock is where the unlimited rainbow foil comes from. Mm -hmm. I'd felt it, I'd felt it, and it, it was fake because you could you could tell it's not that Japanese card stock. The coloring was not right, and wow. I, I I can mostly tell that because I've opened thousands of cases, <laughs> and it's just like easier for me to handle because I've like held so many cards. I can be like that, but to the layman, it's just like you know eh, it looks good enough, and then you end up getting you know nagged on your purchase because you bought something for 60 bucks that's not real 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of scary, right? You know, and, and I, I hope, I hope folks out there are kind of wary of it and, and think about where they're actually purchasing their, their singles, right? Because the singles market's great, right? It's awesome that you don't have to crack a bunch of boxes and, and you know, roll the dice as, as us brute players like to do, but you know, it's, um, but you know, you gotta be careful. So, you know, I think, you know, kind of doing your due diligence in terms of like looking into where you're buying them. Sometimes if it's too good to be true, maybe it is too good to be true. Right. You know? So like, that's, that's something I hope that the buds kind of take, uh, take away from that. Right. So there's something useful that, uh, store min max based out of Chicago, they posted on their website, on Twitter and some other places They made an article highlighting how you can tell a fake from a real apart. Like what, what, what a real card has that's like approved and they have pictures and step-by-step where to look, what to look for and everything. So, I mean, that's a great resource for new players and any players to use. If you're making your high-end purchase on the tunic for you not to get gypped and you get sent a fake $20, you know, office depot tunic. And now you're stuck with it. You know, you're out of whatever money that you spent on it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, I would implore the buds to check that out as well. Min Max is great. Um, now we got some listener questions, Hemel. If if you're Perfect. into it, um, I'm we, down. Oh yeah. Uh, this came from uh, the buds Discord, which anybody can join is um, free for everyone. It's in the show notes. And I, when I have guests on, typically if if uh, if I have enough leeway, I will post um, uh, a post for people to send in questions. We have some questions. So first comes from. Pat Shaw, aka Pat Smash Good, who just started his, uh, a new YouTube channel. I hope uh, it's uh, Off the Rails TCG. Please, please check it out. He asks, "What is your take on the practice of a buyout?" Hmm. <laughs> I think buyouts are completely fine, but the it, it it's going back to that tightrope analogy, but it, it, it's a tightrope. You don't want to create these artificial buyouts for no apparent reason, but you can see that it's beneficial in a way as well. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it's, it's a good and a bad. It's like some, something that you need in the game to show health in the market, health in, and money and cash flow and stuff like that. It's also bad in the sense that if it happens too frequently, you, you, you have more of a stock exchange than you do a card game. Yeah. So it, it's it's the real tightrope. Like, for example, like Crosswrap. Crosswrap, uh, Skullbone Crosswrap was 45 to 50 bucks for the longest time. Riptide and uh, Azalea support got announced and shot up to 75, 80 bucks. That's healthy because that's people and players buying in anticipation of the thing. And now you could retrace just like Mask of Momentum did when Phi got revealed. When Mask of Momentum... Uh, shot up to $140, $150 when Phi got shown off during Uprising, and now it's sitting back at $90. Like these, these incremental climbs and retraces, I think, are healthy for the game because it, it shows that people are willing to spend money to play what they want in anticipation and excitement of something coming out, which shows that there's cash flow in the game. But the bad part is that once you get items and people buying out cards like uh, tunics or or to find dolls, like you know, essential game pieces, rather than um, you know ancillary things to play a hero or whatever, then it becomes a problem. Yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely agree. And and Capolo actually kind of builds upon that, and he kind of answered it here. But he asked, if, do you think buyouts have a negative impact 
on new players trying to join the game, you know, for example, Staples kind of getting to a unreasonable price. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, you, you kind of you hit the nail on the head, right? Sure. You know, Skullbone Crosswrap. Yeah. Buy it out. You know, it's like what? Yeah. It's 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 a people are specking on it, and that's totally normal. But who's who needs who needs uh like twenty spring or spring tunics, right? Like, yeah. Nobody, you know. And so it's uh it's it's interesting. Um, Flake actually asks here, what kind of speculating takes place when you're looking to invest in a low cost card? How do you evaluate when you buy a card under the premise it will rocket hopefully rocket in value so the best example of something i did with this was three of a kind so when arcane rising unlimited came out for a while the four tales of aria came out three of a kind was a two dollar card one dollar card azalea was not good and uh, azalea actually didn't play three of a kind because she can only shoot one arrow a turn this is before try shot before all those cards came out so it was just one arrow a turn one big arrow and that's it so three of a kind was a dumpster fire majestic. So I looked at the, the what essentially I like to look at as a power level of the majestic. Um, this is like some Yu-Gi-Oh thinking going into it, but it I can explain it and break it down. So I look at does the card enable you to do things, or does the card give you the ability to enable other things to do things? So for example, three of a kind both enables you to do multiple things, plus enables you. To enable other cards to do things in the sense like like if you have Voltaire with uh, Lexi, you're able to three of a kind and get yourself two arrows, two shoot, plus the resources. Plus it also lets you do more things. So when you see power levels of cards like that, like three of a kind, for example, Rain Razors, for example, uh, Pulverize is like a finisher, for example, Snag, like you said yourself, looking into future where you see a lot of Rangers and Assassins pumping up their attacks. Snag could play an integral part. So I look at those for class-specific cards to spec on. And for generic, I, I just like to spec on generics in general. Because there's not that many generic M's in this game. I think there's about 15 or 20 of them if you count the supers. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it's just it, it's not hard for you to spec on a couple of these generic M's. Because not only are they playable in all the decks, they can go and do that. Like, for example, one that I spec'd on was That's All You Got. That's all you got. I was like, this is a yellow cost defense reaction. So you can pitch it for resources, worst case, and you can do swings. Plus it draws you a card. So the power level is there. It replaces itself. So it's basically a free card. So if any card becomes a free card, then you can see the potential of it becoming busted down the line. So that was another card I specced out and I bought a few to 100 copies of from secondary markets and stuff like that, but incrementally, so not to trigger a buyout, mm-hmm. right? So then when the uh, card shot up from the $3 price tag it was at to like seven, eight, ten dollars it is now, you know, I it's the, you know, the future side that you're able to make your penny stocks basically yeah. the card. I mean, that's, I mean, Hey, listen, it makes sense. And actually it's funny enough. Uh, Flake asked that question that all you got was flakes spoiler card from that set. Oh man, it worked out. <laughs> uh, Funny story with Flake though. So I, I bought uh, Flake's Outsider Mat from uh, the Wreck Havoc one from Indy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kept missing each other because he was coming by the booth to drop it off. And I had to pay him the money. We just kept missing each other. And uh, Jimmy, James Silver, he hangs out with Fino Black. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So I told him, I was like, hey, man, if you see Flake, just let him know I'm looking for him. So he went to go to the bathroom, and he runs into Flake, and he just sells at the top. It's like, hey, Hemel's looking for you. Like, Flake's <laughs> using the bathroom. And then Flake, like, saw, like, like just like he looked like he had a ghost go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, if there's anyone that's used to people just shouting at him, it is Flake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next week, well, my co-host from the Bud Rush Bell and, and our mutual friend, Gary, uh, asked two questions. Does Hammurabi really have the juice? And uh, what is the best restaurant to visit in Texas? Oh, man. So Hammurabi does have the juice. We sell <laughs> carrot, celery, tomato, and all other juices for all vegetables. <laughs> we call it a V8, but for copyright reasons, we call it a V9. Uh but the best restaurant to visit in Texas, I'll narrow it down to three or three different types of people who like three different types of foods. For steak, I'm a fan of B&B Butchers. B&B Butchers is a steakhouse here in Houston. You get to go there. You get to pick out your cut of meat from the butcher. The butcher cuts it up. You tell them exactly how you want it cooked, what do you want on it. And you just they, they bring the steak to you, and it's always perfect. Their sides are amazing. Their drink selection is amazing. They have an old-fashioned cart that they bring to your table, mm. and they make the old-fashioned at the table. Like that. Amazing service. Then the second place I like is this, uh, for those people who like sushi, there's a place here called Uchi. Uchi is like this very high-end sushi place in a way, but it's very fancy in a way, and they have an omakase menu in a private room where you can have a 15-course private dinner where it's just you and whoever you bring in your party, kind of like a hibachi, but the hibachi is by itself. And the chef is in front of you making the sushi and hanging it out one by one. It's an experience. And the last place is my, my, my craze. As you can tell, I'm Indian, and uh, I love me some good Indian food. There's an Indian restaurant here in Houston called Nearman's. Best food I've ever had for Indian restaurant from a takeout restaurant. You get a good naan. You get a good curry. You get some good meat. They make some good samosas. Bomb. Oh, man. Oh man, uh, that's like that's that's my dream, right? So I gotta go to Houston. Oh, yeah. it sounds like uh, I'm through, man. I'll take you around. <laughs> um, I do have two more questions here. One from Greg, uh, Big Dick Jones in the Discord. Which hero would you take in a fist fight? I would take personally. I would take Reinar. Whoa! Because before he, before he even starts the fight, he intimidates. Yeah. Right. So, so they're already at a disadvantage, right? Olden, uh, my dude needs a Tylenol before he moves. Avo, you know, I guess, but I, I'm sticking with Reinar because you know, he got that beast within, got that blood rush fellow. <laughs> yeah. He's about to massacre some people. You yeah. know, I'm a fan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll, yeah, take that. Now, uh, Papa Mike asks, should I bite the bullet and buy surgical extraction or? Do you think LSS will do some kind of reprint to make up for the the short printing of it? Personally, I think they're going to do one thing to fix this. So they said they mixed them up. They mixed up surgical and regicide. Regicide was supposed to show up at the rate surgical showed up because it's legendary. It's surgical, the rate regicide showed up, which was, you know, it showed up way too much, personally speaking. I cracked over 150 cases of Dynasty. I'm in so much pain by the <laughs> amount of regicides I've pulled. I have so but much. I would, <laughs> so I would personally take the bullet and bite it, uh, bite the bullet and purchase it because I think they can only fix it in one of two ways. I don't think they'll reprint it at least for a while mm -hmm. because it causes the like a lack of faith in the product. 
right? Because the product just came out and now you're immediately reprinting it. Yeah. So all these people who have invested money, all these people who are buying product, all these people wanted that you're removing a chase card less than six months from the set's release, which can be kind of painful for a lot of people to swallow and it, it leaves a bad taste in a lot of players' mouth. But thanks to Fab 2.0, they can do one thing. They can release a second wave mm-hmm. with the printing fixed. And then just be like, hey, we're releasing the second wave. The printing is fixed on it. It's still Dynasty, Fab 2.0. So you can, if you open these, you get them pulled at a much easier rate. That will naturally cause that surgical extraction price to go slower and lower as more and more of that second wave is open, rather than just creating a reprint, being like, well, you don't need to worry about that set anymore because that surgical extraction is, you know, is a moot point. You just yeah. have focus on your own product still. But you fix the problem. There you go. Buy them, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this has been great, Hemel. This is a lot of fun because, uh, yeah. well, you're awesome and you're 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 a great bud, and and I think you do bring a a lot of wealth of knowledge, and it's backed up not on not on just nothing, right? You you play the game, you understand the game, right? You understand. Uh, what's going on with Flesh and Blood. So I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. I wanted to say that. And um, I would like for you to plug anything you'd like to plug. And uh, thank you. All right, man. Appreciate you having me on. I hope I didn't talk all y'all's ear off, man, because I'm known as a big talker. But, uh, yeah, check me out on Twitter, at uh, HPAT612. Uh, I take, you know, orders all over social media and stuff like that. On Facebook, just find me, Hemel Patel, on all the marketplace, the references groups, all the fab groups. I'm pretty much there. On Discord, check out Incarnate Zeus 5409. Uh, you know, hit me up there for any of your card singles needs. And at any of your events, if you you know you see me in person, come say hi and let, let me set you up with some deals on some decks you need. But uh, that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be getting a website up soon. You know, I, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to it. <laughs> so. I want to make sure it's like the best before I launch it. So that's why it's taking a little bit of time, but hopefully by outsiders, maybe the summer set, I'll have it fully locked and loaded and out there for people to just head to hammerabitcg.com. No, sweet. And if you need something, the bazaar will have it. Um, mm-hmm. You you all can continue to find me on Twitter at FreshBudsPod. Uh, like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube. 500 subscribers doing full adult Leviah cosplay. Gary will be the rabbit she killed. Um, what else? Discord. Bud's Discord. Check it out. Patreon. Uh, check that out as well. And I, I, we already talked a little food, Hemel, earlier, but mm-hmm. I still want to end the show just talking about some food. I want you to tell me, you've traveled a lot for this game, right? Doing all these yeah. callings and all that stuff. What is, off the top of your head, what is the best meal you've had traveling for this game? When I went to dallas for the calling there's a pizza place that was right next to the convention center called zalat pizza z-a-l-a-t they have a pepperoni pizza at 16 inches called the pepperoni Masterclass. Whoa! by far the best pizza i've had in my entire life it's new york it's new york style okay the beats new york pizza any day and i've been in new york several times and i, I i've had that pizza and i've never had a pizza as good as that pizza in my entire life all right so, so next time anyone's in <laughs> Dallas, check it out. Oh, it sounds very good. I am hungry. Everybody, please <laughs> have a good week. <laughs>